Kendra Tombolato, here with Mei Zhang, and this is the China Travel Podcast by Wild China Travel. Each week, we'll be heading to a new place in China to share our top local tips and tricks, highlighting our favorite food, hotels, and experiences, as well as sharing resources. If you're joining or catching up on past episodes, we encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. And lastly, if you're interested in traveling China with us or attending any of our other virtual events, please visit our website at wildchina.com. Welcome back to the China Travel Podcast. My name is Zhang Mei, and every week we venture to a different destination in China with a special guest. And when we say a destination, it can really be a village, a town, or simply sometimes a way of life. And today, this way of life is climbing. And our guest is conservationist and climber Bob Mosley, who will be talking to us about climbing in China. And I also have your familiar voice, Kendra, joining us here as well. As I found out, she was an avid climber when she was living in Beijing as well. So it will be an interesting conversation to discuss climbing in different parts of China. Now, a few words about Bob. Bob has spent his career pioneering conservation efforts in China, beginning in 2000 when he first moved to China as part of a small team that started the Nature Conservancy's first program in mainland Asia. During this time, he spent six years there and he worked on biodiversity assessments for the Yunnan Great Rivers Project, an effort that included 90 Chinese experts from 40 different institutions. He also spent time living on the Tibetan border region of Yunnan to direct TNC's partnership with the Deqing County government to design and implement conservation programs for a new park in the Meili Snow Mountains. And let me tell you, that is a gorgeous area. If we don't go climbing there, go hiking there or just simply visit. It's absolutely beautiful. So later, he became director of conservation science, where his responsibilities ranged from overseeing local field-based projects for protected areas and endangered primates to developing strategic high-leverage programs at the national level. In sum, we are very honored to have Bob with us today. And if you're interested in hearing more about his time and work at the Nature Conservancy, we did an earlier talk with Bob and my dear friend Edward Norton, and that conversation is available on our YouTube channel as well. So welcome to both of you. Yeah, this is great. Fun to be here. <laughs> great. So Bob, I'm going to get started here with something we dug up. There was an article in the China Development Forum from 2017, where you were talking about the changing public perspective of conservation over the last decade. And of course, climbing was part of that. And um, so it says, when I lived in China, in Yunnan, I used to climb rocks in my spare time. And I developed a strong relationship with some young Chinese friends. And it was just me as the one foreigner. And we would go out with all these Chinese people and explore and rock climb in the area. Then I came back and met the same people in Kunming more than 10 years later. Of course, they've all grown up and have families now and they still rock climb. But I noticed something that was that they actually understand what I do better than they did then, even though I spent much more time with them back then. 
and I tried to explain what I did about the environment and conservation. What you said there uh, just shows the change of uh, people's perspective and understanding of conservation and, of course, of climbing as well. Maybe you can take us from there and, and tell us a bit more. So, yeah, that was a really interesting quote, I guess, and a really, really interesting reflection. And I've thought about it a lot since I said that. So they were, you know, when I got there, these climbers that I met with were only in their early 20s. I was in my mid-40s. And I would talk about nature conservation and what I did, but it kind of went over their head. They didn't really, it didn't really get absorbed. And that was okay. We had a, a, a shared passion for rock climbing. So we kind of moved on. And so it was really striking when I got back and I really understood about environmental conservation, nature conservation more specifically, and about what I did. And I found that really surprising. And I thought about sort of a couple of things were probably happening. One was when I was their age, uh, environmental awareness in the 1970s, it was during that period of time of Earth Day and all this, this increase in environmental awareness in the U.S., especially young adults, uh, young people like me at the time, there was none of that in China. We're sort of, mm -hmm. that was 2000. So we're still in that era of, you know, the Deng Xiaoping to get rich is glorious. So at least that sentiment. I don't know if that was actually his quote, but, you know, that was what was going on in China at the time. But in one way, it didn't surprise me that as these young Chinese folks got immersed in rock climbing, uh, when you think about it, you are no more intimate with nature than you are with rock climbing. You are focused on that rock in front of you or the intricacies you're studying, each of the details, the rock quality, the, you know, how to do a route. You're really focused on that and you become kind of really tuned with at least that part of nature. Rock climbing also gets you out to pretty cool places. I mean, they're usually pretty scenic. The vertical world isn't that common around the globe, so they're usually in pretty nice spots. And mm -hmm. so after you could, you could see somebody in their 20s starting to sort of become aware of that as they got out there more and became more avid rock climbers. The other thing going on, of course, was that these were urban youth. And so as they uh, sort of entered the middle class themselves, their families entered the middle class, um, they had more time to think about their quality of life, the air they breathe, the water they drink you know, the land that their their houses are built on. Bob, that's fascinating. I'm curious, like, what were they like? What what jobs did they do, these people? How did they pick up uh, climbing as a hobby? Describe one of them or give us an example. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so it's an interesting story how I ran into them. So, and I'll start with that because it kind of flows from my first uh, view of Yunnan. I was landing in the plane, coming in for the first time in January of 2000, and it was in the old um, airport that was very close to the city. And yeah. you're coming in over the lake, and I was out on the left side of the plane, and I remember very distinctly seeing this gigantic wall rising up, this rock wall rising up from the west side of the lake. Mm. Yeah, I found out later it was Shishan, um, the, the Western Hills, which are more than hills. It's a really big, <laughs> st steep rock escarpment. And I go, wow, there's got to be climbing over there somewhere. Um, 
And after I got kind of settled in, I was working with a professor from Yunda, from Yunnan University, named O Xiaokun. Yeah. And he was an ecologist. He worked outside and kind of knew the outdoors. And I, I started asking him, you know, like, you ever heard of any rock climbing around here? And uh, he says, well, no, I haven't. But, you know, let's go to this outdoor shop. Um, that I go to when I get outfitted to go do my field work in the mountains. And he was good friends with this guy. And the guy, and he said, yeah, there's this guy named Ma Juryong um, and Wang Juryong. And um, there was a third person, it turned out, were the three climbers, um, young climbers in Kunming. At the, <laughs> this, this was in early 2000. And they were, you know, a little over 20, early 20s, something like that. They were enthusiastic about the outdoors and originally, and somehow they fell in with this guy. I think he was from Beijing originally, a Chinese guy, um, who, when they went out to the Stone Forest and looked around, and they actually developed some roots out there in 1999. Wow. Um, so they had some experience, but that's about all I know kind of from um, their their background of how they got into it. Um, Wang Jiming, it's sort of he was like an entrepreneur, I guess you'd call him, even at mm-hmm. 20, 21. Um, and uh, Ma Jiyong was a, a um, mechanic for Yunnan Airlines at the time. It's now uh, bought by one of the regional China other, other so, Yeah, really smart guy. I was very confident in Yunnan Airlines and flying on Yunnan Airlines after I got to know Ma Jiyong. He's a really smart guy. Really, I'm mm. sure he was a great mechanic. So was, when I look at the engines as we're flying up to Lijiang or Zhongdian, I go, I know this plane it can, <laughs> is in good shape. Um, and a guy named Chong. So there was three of them. And so when Ma Jiyong, so the guy at the outdoor shop connected me with Ma, and he emailed me back and said, oh, well, Wang Jiming, Wang R, as he became known, uh, has a bar with a climbing gym in it on Wenling Jia, which is kind of in okay. this, this hip street between Yunda and Green Lake yeah, uh, Park, yeah. which is where I lived. Mm-hmm. It was right across the street and down a little ways. Oh. And so I just walked over there <laughs> and uh, there they were. And, you know, it was funny to see coming from the United States, um, these young Chinese guys with slick black loafers trying to climb this wall, which was slightly overhung. And so when they came off, they went swinging and they had to grab your beer, you know, off the table because they had to go swimming, swinging by you. It was really crazy. But <laughs> we met every Saturday morning and sometimes Sunday morning to go out uh, and um, explore. And they first took me to the Stone Forest, which was bit of a haul out there. And at the time, they had a new um, railroad, so it was kind of expensive. And we quickly realized that that's actually not that great of a place to climb. I said, mm. what about the Western Hills? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we then we parked there for the next three years and put up many, many routes uh, in the Western Hills and then moved on about 30 kilometers north of Kunming in a town, a township called Fumin. Um, yeah, there's a canyon. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just outside of the um, the town that we took horse carts up into. Actually, uh, we take the Zhongba, the express bus, up to Fumin, walk across town, get on the horse carts, and go up into this canyon to uh, to climb. So that was the the three of us. 
plus a community that started to develop amongst their friends. Some people would come out and try it. Uh, some did never came back. Um, others came back and they also got really, really good. Um, they were young. Um, and when we started out, they, uh, they climbed about as well as I climbed in terms of difficulty. And, but it was pretty clear that once we started developing routes that were harder and harder, that they were going to get like way better than me. And indeed they did. Um, and it was fun to watch, uh, <laughs> That's, that's what a fantastic story. Actually, as you were talking, like the, this specific, very interesting segment of the uh, locals in Kunming, some of them are my friends who developed sort of early hobbies in hiking and all that, and a very eclectic mix of hiking, photography, and, mm-hmm. and some sort of a government job all go hand in hand in this one person. And it's actually a very interesting part. I could go on, but I know Kendra has a specific question. So I'll let her chime in. Yeah. Well, first of all, Bob, I think that's fascinating. It's actually really similar to sort of my first encounter with climbing in China. Um, The first time I went, I think was in like 2014 um, in in the most famous place. I would say it's probably the most famous. You can contradict me if you want, but Yangshuo. Probably like globally, if people think of China, Yangshuo is probably like, well, one of the most photographed places in general in China. But for climbing, what would you say, Bob? You think that's... Oh, by far the best well-known within China and certainly without. Yep. It's a destination, Um, a global destination for climbing. Yes, exactly. So I went there and I didn't have any of my climbing stuff. Um, So I booked like a climbing class because I was like, okay, I don't have any stuff. They'll give me the shoes, the rope. And the guy that took us out was wearing Crocs and he lead climbed um, to set up a top rope for everyone in the class with Crocs on to the top of this route. And it was hard. It was like a pretty hard route. I mean, not super hard. But he just like flew up it with Crocs on, set up a top rope and then just chilled the rest of the day while the whole class sort of struggled to get up there on a top rope. And it was amazing. It was really cool to be in this, you know, for me at the time, kind of random corner of China with these people that lived there and were just crazy good at climbing and just sort of treated it like it was, you know, just another day in the park. So I think, yeah, fairly similar experience, but obviously at a very different time. Actually, I want to ask May then, growing up in Yunnan, I'm just sort of curious about sort of the awareness of climbing when you were a kid in Yunnan. I know that you say you spent a lot of your time outside, as much as time you know you could outside. Was climbing something that you were aware of as like a sport or like a hobby? Or was it sort of just something still kind of on the fringes at that time? Not even on the fringes. Yeah. It's not a sight. It's, it's like you don't see it, right? I think there's this China that's constantly fascinating to me in the sense that nature has always been a place where you sort of labor to squeeze out a living. You depend on nature, you depend on the land for growing food, you go to the forest, particularly, Bob, you know, in Yunnan, we go to the forest to forage wild, fresh mushroom for meals. And... um, the the whole the tea horse trail is for transportation. So any of the encounter with nature is hardship. It's work. It's never a land of leisure. It's it's right, Bob. That that whole mm-hmm. concept of turning the relationship around and say, hey, I can go walking the hills just for the fun of it, or I can hang on this rock with my fingertips for the fun of it is, is a very, very new concept. 
my perspective uh, was both sort of on the professional side and on my avocational side, sort of the, the rock climbing side. We were working in Northwest Yunnan on conservation projects that involved tourism development. And the tourism planners were laser focused on mass tourism of the burgeoning, the expanding middle class of China, which are people who had been in the countryside during the Cultural Revolution and did not want to go back to go trek to a village and you know sleep on the floor. Uh, they wanted a bus with a big hotel and a gondolas, et cetera. In these young folks that I started to get to know through rock climbing, they're in their 20s, so they were born after 1980. And they reminded me of myself when I was in my 20s. I wanted to do something different than my parents. There was a segment of that age class that didn't want to do what their parents did. And so I went out into the wilderness and backpacked and eventually learned to rock climb and that kind of stuff. And this was in the early to mid-70s, late-70s. I saw that in these folks also. And I also thought about what happened in North America and Europe during, you know, over the intervening years. Pretty soon, these 20-year-olds grew up and made money and became richer. And the tourism planners now are starting to orient their development plans focused on this group that now has money. So they want to raft rivers. They want to trek into wild places. They want to experience things um, that their parents did not. Uh, and that is indeed happening. So I saw that folks, maybe they didn't, they wanted to try climbing. Maybe they didn't stick with it, but they love to trek. They love to hike in the mountains, to photograph nature, do things um, that were not on the radar of any, uh, any country, uh, tourism planner back then, but are now in the mainstream. They're building parks for rock climbing. They're building parks for whitewater rafting and mountain biking. Um, to attract who are now 40 and 50-year-olds, they didn't have money to spend. Um, so it's a really interesting transition. Um, and I, I sort of got to see it and think about it in the context of how I grew up in, my, uh, in the outdoors. And I think the, the taste for nature and taste for this kind of adrenaline of pumping sports in nature, once you've tasted it, it's kind of hard to forget and go back to join the masses at the, yes. at the gate lining up for Chesenic Park. So I have a question for both of you. Uh, these climbing sites in China, uh, are, are they very different? How do you judge? Like, uh, how do you know this piece of rock is good for climbing or not? Is it is a much different climbing outside of Beijing versus Guilin versus those mountains in, in Yunnan? I can start, Bob. So I think obviously all the, the rock type is different depending on where you go. So the climbing style is different. But as far as how to know what to do, there's really great climbing communities in a lot of the major cities. So like in Beijing, there's a climbing community that goes out every weekend, both days of the weekend. They have a bus. Um, so you just get up at 6 a.m., <laughs> cycle or take the subway over to the the bus. And then um, however many people are going, they have the right size vehicle and you drive out couple hours out of the city, usually north, so like Miyun type area. Um, and mm. you can see the Great Wall. There's these huge rock faces. Um, and it's all mostly like community driven. So a lot of them have been like bolted and set up by members of the climbing community. I mean, which is, I think, the same around a lot of the world is people that are into the sport set up roots for other people. And it's, it's awesome. Mm. It's really, really cool. 
And there's little guest houses um, out there as well, also uh, run and driven by climbers that have set up these communities and these spaces for, for other people in the area that want to climb. So I know in Beijing, that's what it's like. Um, I know Shanghai also has quite a large community and there's tons of indoor gyms as well, which is awesome. Like really, really awesome. They're really world-class. I remember when I was living in Beijing, it was the same time that Free Solo came out. Um, and Alex Honnold was in Beijing doing a premiere. And they closed the gym that we normally climbed at because Alex Honnold wanted to climb there. And to me, that was crazy because like Beijing, like one of the largest cities in the world, and you have these world-class climbers that are climbing in the same gym as, as me and all my Chinese friends. Like it's, it's pretty cool. So I would say that, yes, um, there is a lot of different options. But I mean, at least sort of that's the Beijing-Shanghai area. I don't know, uh, Bob, sort of about Kunming or what you would say about that. Yeah, I think that China is a gigantic country, just like yeah. the United, you know, <laughs> United States and Canada. And, uh, and so the climate and the geology sort of drive what um, the, the sort of the rock climbing scene or what the rock climbing is like. So Beijing, you don't climb in the winter, right? Yeah. In Yunnan, <laughs> it actually rains most of the summers, but the winters are beautiful. And in fact, mm. when I lived there, there was a few uh, Beijing climbers that would come down and winter in Yunnan um, uh, because of the weather was good uh, there. And it's sort of limestone versus granite versus some other types of um, rock, all sort of free at this sort of unique circumstances everywhere you are. And China has it all. Uh, I was talking with a friend of mine from Kunming yesterday, and he's headed up to uh, Gansu, he's a kind of a famous climber these days in China, but he's headed up to Gansu to look at some big dolomite walls, which is a kind of a limestone. And he's been exploring all over the place. But oh, each God. place is a little bit different. And it's fun to hear about. Going back to Yangshuo, of course, it was famous when we lived there even. Um, uh, and my wife and I, my partner Renee, who was joined me after a couple of years living there, I uh, said, yeah, some, one of these days we got to go over to Yangshuo. That is the place in China that people go climbing. We never did because <laughs> there were so many new routes, so much development to do right around Kunming. And we had like, oh, there's a beautiful kind of line up this one face that hasn't been done yet. We got to go put that in. So we <laughs> we spent all our, <laughs> all our weekends going out, you know, just locally and having a blast. And it was wonderful. And we never made it to Yangshuo. We actually never made it to anywhere else to climb in China. Except um, recently I was in Beijing with a friend and we went out to the West. Forget that. Bye. Bye, Hujian. You know, listening to the two of you talk, it's just like, I could just leave this podcast and join <laughs> you, um, even just to watch. But it, it sounds like you've got to have um, a certain level of skills already to, to merge into these um, communities. And for a newbie starting out in China, I mean, the, the immediate questions are, is it safe? Like these, it sounds like all... Um, community-driven approach, there isn't a safety protocol or a commercial licensed operator and things like that to make sure the checks and balances are put in place? Is that of any concern to any of you? Um, what would you recommend if you start out as new in the sport and wanting to explore China? Yeah, I think, um, so as far as being safe, 
a lot of the frequently climbed areas, um, people check all of the bolts and the anchors and stuff frequently. So um, if people see something that looks unsafe, they will often write about it or they'll go up and remove it. Um, so, I mean, my experience in China was always that it was very safe. Um, my climbing is, is I climb like where there's bolts and stuff in the wall. I think Bob probably does um, maybe traditional climbing as well, which is where you use your own gear and you sort of place it in the rock to secure yourself. Is that right, Bob? Sounds like maybe that's some of the climbing you do. We You're did, but mo- mostly in Yunnan, <laughs> it was limestone. So we bolted all the climbs. So there's, you know, Wow. Uh, okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think, I mean, I never had any concerns about safety. I think the community did a great job of making sure everything was safe and, and sort of questioning anything that didn't look safe. Is that, was that your experience, Bob? Well, to begin with, there was only four of us. And yeah. I, I was, <laughs> I was teaching the three <laughs> Chinese friends, you know, how to do this. In fact, but we had actually difficulty getting proper hardware. Uh, and so when I went back to the United States or when Ed Norton went back, I often had, <laughs> you know, made them schlep a box of, of metal, <laughs> uh, high quality that I knew was high quality hardware across. Um, we were able to find anchors at fire hardware, fire rescue hardware. Actually, it was pretty good for anchors. 20 years ago, it was pretty difficult. It's not anymore. It's an Olympic sport. There's tons of gym, lots of people involved. Uh, there's a local associations, groups, you know, clubs at every place. There's climbing in China, I suspect. Um, and as you said, I think it's really evolved that they're, they're taking care of those places. So the risk, which is always there, admittedly, when you go out of doors, uh, is, is a lot less than it was probably in the 90s and early 2000s. There are not that many guides that I'm aware of, you know, really guiding services. But if you show up in a place like Shugu, um, some of the... In, in Yangshuo, you can find people who will take you out and give a class on on how to um, become a climber. <laughs> yeah, I would just add to that. Um, I totally agree with that, Bob. I don't know that many guides either. I know that um, Wild China works with a company called Terra Tribes, which is based out of Yangshuo. And they do a lot of climbing. Um, all of their um, staff are wilderness first aid trained, all of that kind of stuff. So very high standard of safety for people interested in trying climbing for the first time. Um, I would also add that a lot of the communities, um, though they don't have professional guides, climbers are super open to to taking mm-hmm. people out. Um, everywhere I've lived, I've found people that, you know, even if you don't have any like, you know, big gear with you, you don't have any ropes or quick draws or any of the main stuff, people will still take you out no matter your level, um, your experience. The climbing community is super warm <laughs> and open. Um, so I think mm-hmm. anywhere you live, if you're interested in climbing, you know, try to find the community there and see if you can go out with them. In Beijing, it was mainly run through Meetup. And obviously after that, it was like a WeChat group. But I'm sure that there's there's communities all over China mm-hmm. that people mm-hmm. would be open to that. So, so a, yeah. a follow-up question on that. It, it sounds w- wonderful community to be in. Uh, my question there is, is that the English-only community or is a community that's quite open or they, are there parallel Chinese communities or are they all merged together? Bob, sounds like in your case, um, the four of you was it. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's quite a good mix. <laughs> there were very few foreigner expats in Kunming that were climbing at the time. Um, a couple. And so we were mostly, Renee and I were mostly out with Chinese folks. Interestingly, when I went back a few, um, a couple of years ago, we went back 
And there's a lot of expats that have moved to Kunming because of the climbing and other opportunities for jobs there um, mm. in, in research in the Academy of Sciences and other places. Um, and which is, and actually we met some Chinese that are moving to Kunming from Shanghai and other places because it mm. has become kind of a, a lower key destination than Yangshuo. We showed up, you know, at the Salvador's Cafe on Wenlingjia and... Um, Colin. Yeah, Colin. And, you know, he, he knew who we were, even though we had never met him, because our name's associated with a lot of climbing there. But you can pick up folks to climb with. He's, he can set you up with a driver, with... So I, I think those places are easy for both expats and, of course, on WeChat and the, the Chinese groups. It's, it's really easy to connect... I know in Kunming, climbing Kunming, uh, WeChat group is is a really popular one. So yeah, it's a it's a community that it's it's really open. They have a lot of beginners. Most Chinese climbers are beginners or early. You know, there's some really, 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 really good ones, but a lot of people are beginners, and so they're really open to that. What about Beijing, Kendra? Um, Beijing, there's both. So there, the, the meetup group that then merges into a WeChat group is, is English based. So it's a lot of expats, but there's also a ton of Chinese climbers that go as well. Um, mm -hmm. most of them speak English because when you're climbing, you need to sort of like shout to each other different things for safety. So, um, usually, uh, if, you know, if you don't speak Chinese, it's important that your partner speaks English kind of having a, a communal language can be important. Um, but there is also a, a huge, um, well, more than one uh, Chinese uh, WeChat communities as well. And then all of the climbing gyms in Beijing, there's, when I left a couple of years ago, there was, I think, four large ones. And they all have their mm. own groups as well. Um, mm. And they all go out to the mountains every weekend. And there's crazy strong climbers uh, that climb at all of those that are Chinese local. Um, so yeah, there's, there's both everywhere. <laughs> I, I come in the first guidebook for Yunnan climbing. I created a uh, English Chinese translations for climbing terms. Oh, um, nice! <laughs> because communi communication is really critical, uh, and if you're climbing with a somebody who's English or Chinese is not so great, you want to make sure you get it right. Yeah, you're like, catch me, I'm falling. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, talking about that, yeah, Bob. What is the name of the book? And are there other resources you'd recommend we go from there? Ah, uh, well, uh, no, it quickly went out of print. We were selling it around Kunming. This was in 2005, 6, 7, 8. Um, but uh, in the proceeds, we're actually going to buy hardware for replacement or developing of new routes to kind of finance that. Because otherwise, the developers finance it which was me at the uh -huh. time. Um, but uh, that's okay. The Wang R has just written a new guidebook for Kunming. And there's instead of, I think we had 120 routes maybe in 2005 or six, there's now 600 routes in uh, a dozen or so kind of crags within um, 10 to 30 kilometers of Kunming. Um, it really has become a mecca of all grades from really beginner stuff to super hard. I wrote the preface for that, kind of going through some of the history of those early days. The publication has been delayed for about a year or two because of COVID, I think, originally. And so we're hoping by the end of this calendar year that that's out to be a really good resource. There's really good websites for places like Shugu and also in Dali. I help administer a website called Mountain Project. I administer the Yunnan page of Mountain Project, which has not a complete 
guide, but an up-to-date coverage of all of the climbing areas in Yunnan, or almost all of them. I'm still working on a couple, um, getting some info on some new places. That's uh, uh, really probably the best English language compendium of information on climbing in Yunnan right now. And give me a sense, when you say Kunming now has 600 climbing routes, how does that compare to, say, Boulder, Colorado, or Boise, Idaho? <laughs> um, it's pretty good. So Boise has probably just locally right here about uh, 400 or so, 300 something. Um, Boulder probably has a lot more, but is there more than 600 in, in Boulder Canyon? I, there must be. Uh, I think there it probably is. I don't, I don't yeah. know the number, but there's a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then the front range of Colorado. But that's still a lot of climbs. There's no uh, shortage of fun to be had climbing in Kunming. Sounds like it. And so, so Kunming is more of climbing Mecca than Dali or Guiling, or it's uh, useless for me to try to compare. It's, uh, it's, uh... Well, Kunming has got a big population, the local climbers, right, that go out every day or every, you know, all through the year and develop these routes. Dali has a few climbers. There's some uh, climbs on the um, opposite side from the old town in the village of uh, Shuanglong, I think it's called. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, with about it. 50 climbs that are pretty fun. And there's mm-hmm. a local kind of bar guide service there that, that takes folks out there and develop that place. And it's fun. Shugu, uh, you live in a village. There's about 250, 300 routes in Shugu now. But you're sort of based in this one village, and it's really beautiful, a converted nashi or a restored nashi house with a courtyard and all that kind of stuff. But there's no local folks there. It's just a couple of people who run this guest house and visiting climbers that develop this area. Whereas in Kunming, if there are people live there and they're climbing all the time. They don't travel in from other places. And that's what really develops an area to the extent where you have 600 routes versus 50 around Dali. So your, your point is, you know, in Kunming, it's really the sport has taken roots and grown on its own with the local population, just vi- not just visiting climbers. Right. I have a question. So I think as a travel company, obviously, um, people are interested in, in traveling to China for climbing. I know we covered uh, Yunnan and Guangxi, obviously, with Yangshuo and Guilin area. But I'm wondering, I think, you know, there's a, a growing interest in China as a climbing destination with all of the sort of recent news and, and things that have been happening there. In 2019, Ed Umar established the longest roof route mm-hmm. in the whole world, which is in Getu and in, in Guizhou, which was incredible. And then uh, this year, the Olympics had climbing as a sport for the first time in history. And out of the 40 athletes who qualified, two of them were Chinese. Uh, Song Yiling and Pani Fei. So I think there's a growing sort of interest and the sort of climbing eye is hopefully starting to look more towards China. So for people that maybe have some climbing background and are interested in climbing in China, where would you say is a cool place to go besides uh, the sort of main hubs of like Yunnan and, and Guilin? Wow. Well, I'm actually not a really good, because <laughs> I haven't climbed that many places. Well, I think uh, you probably know of, of quite a few, at least. Uh, I know you mentioned uh, uh, Gansu earlier as well, right? Well, um, they're exploring Gansu. Okay. So again, there's a lot going on. I, I would, um, I, I don't really know. I mean, I lived in Hong Kong. There's great climbing in Hong Kong. It's, if you're in Hong Kong, it's not a, a cheap place to go for climbers to hang out. Yeah. Um, 
but there's great climbing there and I know it well in Yunnan and of course uh, Yangshou, but I don't really know the other places that well. Um, I'd love to explore them. There was a book that came out in 2015 and it's called Climb China and it hits a number of the main areas at the time that were developed around China. I think Xiamen and Shandong and Beijing, of course, Hong Kong, Yunnan, and some places that I'd never really heard of before that are kind of out of the way near Shanghai, probably in Zhejiang province, I think. Uh, so that's a good place to start. Mountain Project also is getting more and more info about China generally beyond sort of the pages that I administer in Yunnan. It's a good place to explore and get feedback and kind of read about. So what's your advice? I have two weeks. And I can go anywhere in China and spend my time anyway. What would your top recommendation be? So I think it's so fun to climb in the winter in southern China because that's the dry season. Um, it can be kind of chilly at night, uh, depending on where you are, whether you're in Kunming or, or Guangxi, which is a little bit lower. Mm-hmm. But the days are beautiful and the nature is wonderful. The biodiversity is incredible across the, the southern tier of provinces in Guangxi and Yunnan and that, that area. And it's well, I'm standing and it's starting. There's some really nice parks that are developed specifically for climbing. Um, anyways, that's where I would spend my time and spend a couple of weeks uh, climbing in the subtropical parts of China in the wintertime. Sounds beautiful. Kendra, would you do anything different or anything to add? No, I think that sounds awesome. I want to go back right now. (laughs) I miss it. Yeah, let's hope. Now, one last question I have for Bob in particular. Coming from a lifetime of your career involved in conservation, what is your advice? If anyone who's interested in conservation wants to get involved in that area in China, any suggestions where to go? Well, I mm-hmm. I would um, start at home. I don't know if it's like this everywhere, but I've been working a bit in Shenzhen. And there's a lot of volunteer opportunities for uh, working in, say, parks and developing uh, habitat gardens in the cities where people live. Uh, we were involved in a project in Shanghai where they're re- uh, sort of urban renewal of some of the old housing blocks that were built in the 90s and 80s to upgrade them with more greenery, including little pieces of wild greenery that attract birds and butterflies and frogs even, as opposed to the typical park of China. And it engaged the local people in those places. And I know there's a lot of those opportunities. So I would like start at your home and where you live in your uh, apartment complex and your housing estate. There's a lot of opportunities just real locally. And of course, this is uh, addressing the urban folks, but those are the people that kind of have time to these days to think about that. So that's where I would start. And there's also now sort of farther afield, a lot of local NGOs that take people on birding trips or beach cleanups. So you can either contribute and learn about um, these places and, you know, expand your horizons. How fascinating. And Bob, it's such a delight to of hear your story and your journey of not just doing conservation work, but you've woven these experiences with Chinese people, with the rocks and conservations all together. It's really, really, I, I had a wonderful time. Any last parting words? 
have fun out there. Yeah, sounds good. We'll take this to end our show. And it's really, really wonderful, Bob. Thank you so much for taking the time. And Kendra, thank you for taking the time to share your experience as well. And uh, I can't wait to go explore a different angle of looking at China. Thank you. Till next time. Take care, everyone. Wild China Travel presents the China Travel Podcast, hosted by me, Kendra Tombolato, and Wild China founder, Mei Zhang. In this series, we'll be traveling to a different place in China each week to share our local tips and expert travel advice. To catch our weekly podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.